Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, um, things are about to get really, really practical in the book of Ephesians. We've talked about a lot of concepts in chapters 1 through 3. And some some practical things in four one through sixteen, um, but still some concepts going on. And uh, here uh, he's going to just start to lay it out. Like this is what it looks like to live like a Christian. Again, Paul's writing as a Christian to Christians, people who've put on Christ in baptism, repented of their sins. But the transformation is not over. Um, it is a lifelong process of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And so that's going to be the the thrust of the uh, exhortation today. And so one of the things Paul is going to do in this section is, is tell us, well, here's some things that the old man would have been doing, but here's some things that the, that the new man does instead. And so that's one of my favorite ways that, that Paul writes is he gives us a list or he gives us certain things that we ought not to be doing, but he doesn't just stop there. Mm-hmm. He goes on to tell us, well, replace those bad habits or those, those um, you know, evil things with these good things. Um, and so he'll do that today. And so, like Stephen said, this is just a very practical, down-to-earth section of the of the text. And so um, we certainly want to do our best to find ways to apply the message today. Yeah. And I think that's just really important as we jump into this today, is that Christianity is not just about what you're not doing. Uh, I think sometimes it's easy for Christians themselves or for other people to get in their head, like, okay, well, Christians want you to like, don't cuss and they don't, you know, do these other things. And um, y- yes, <laughs> that, that's true. We're going to talk about some of those very things today. But it's more than that. It, it's putting off that old way of living and putting on. It's about what you are saying yes to, not just the things you're saying no to. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's go ahead and jump in today. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. We'll be reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24 to start with. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. All right. Um, So this is a pretty long sentence, or maybe a couple of sentences, depending on uh, how your Bible breaks it up. But at the root of all this is Paul saying, all right, it's time for a change. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You guys cannot be like the world around you. And again, Ephesians, as we've talked about a little bit uh, going through, it's primarily written to Gentiles. Yeah. He'll talk to Jews as well. Um, certainly this is for everybody. But Ephesians is a pretty Gentile-centered letter about Paul working with the Gentiles and what God is doing through Christ for them. And here, it's kind of interesting because, again, he's writing to Gentiles. And in verse 17, the first thing he says, 
is that you can't walk like the Gentiles do. He's used that idea of walking kind of all throughout the letter to talk about you used to walk like this, now you got to walk this, walk worthy of the calling. And here he says, don't, don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't live like them. Don't act like them. And it would be a little bit like somebody coming to us. I mean, we're American Christians um, and saying, you, you can't walk like the Americans do. I mean, it's like, well, no, like I am an American. I live in the midst of Americans. Like that's part of my culture and heritage and stuff. And he's like, no, like you, you can't act like that anymore. That can't be who you are anymore. You cannot walk like the Gentiles do. And that's really stark and helpful. That's like, okay, like, yes, this is uh, a category that I fit into, but I can't think of myself in those categories anymore. Yeah, I'm not like everybody else anymore. I'm different, separate, um, set apart for God's purposes. You know, I knew there was a reason this kept sticking out to me. In verse 18, when he talks about them being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The reason that was ringing in my head was because of actually something Paul said back in chapter 2 as he was describing the Gentiles and what they were. This is in chapter 2 and verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So this is the point that he's made in two different places, but for two different purposes. In chapter 2, he's going to make the case, okay, now you are in Christ. Now that you are in God, you need to view each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. But now he's bringing that point back up of this idea that a Gentile is excluded from God to say, don't go back to that. You know, right. that's, that's awful. Stay away You've from that. You've been brought into the family. Yeah, you don't. have life now. So yeah. why would you walk away from that? Yeah. And I think it's interesting in 17 and 18, just how many of the words that he uses have to do with our mind and our heart. Mm-hmm. He talks about the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. Uh, so much of the problem um, out out there in the Gentiles in the world is, is dealing with not just the outward action, but dealing with the mind and the heart. I mean, the gospel is good news in a battle for the mind. God is trying to get us to change from the inside out. And we're going to talk about this a little bit as we go through. Is it's We're not just looking to change the way we act without actually changing why we're, we're doing what we're doing. God is after our hearts mm-hmm. and not just after, um, you know, a few behavior modifications here and there. Do some good stuff and you're good. Like, no, you got to think different. you got to deep down in your heart be different. That's what God's after. You know, there's another phrase here as we're thinking about the heart that I love at the end of verse 18. He says it was because of the hardness of their heart. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason I want to bring that up is because that's what we saw all throughout season one in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is constantly working on the disciples, his 12 apostles, hardness of heart. Mm-hmm. And to kind of elaborate on that, Paul says in verse 19, and they having become callous. Mm-hmm. Hardness of heart and callousness really go hand in hand together. Uh, I don't know about you, Stephen. Uh, I know you're a musician, but when I think of, of someone who's who's callous, I I automatically think of someone who's a guitar player. They've got all those calluses, you know, built up yeah. on their hands from you know all the different frets and playing and stuff like that. But uh, the idea of callous is someone you're not going to be 
pricked. You know, there's not going to be anything that gets it's through insen- a callus. It's insensitive. That right. You've lost feeling in where, where the yeah. callus is. And the point here is, is that the Gentiles or those in the world, those who are lost, the sinners, they can get to a point where they have sinned so much that it's almost like they don't even feel the guilt of it anymore. Mm-hmm. And let me just say, that that's not just people in the world. I, at a time, as a Christian, was involved in sin where I felt similarly, that, that I was so deep in sin that I became callous. It's almost like I didn't even feel or understand the guilt behind the sin. And it took the Lord, it took his word to wake me up to that, to, to help me understand that, no, these things are wrong. You have to, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to put off that old self. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the word is what redirected me in that. Yes, and, and that, that is a scary place to be when, we, when our conscience becomes calloused and we stop feeling bad for what we've done. Uh, that's a really scary place to get to, and it's easy for people who are outside of Christ and even for people who are inside Christ or in Christ to, um, to get to that point. And, and he says what happens when you become callous is, verse 19, you give yourself up to like all kinds of different things, sensuality, greed, impurity, um, and that's what happens. Like, well, I just don't feel like it's bad anymore. And so it gets worse and worse and worse. And that, that's just true of sin. I've heard it said this way before. I, I don't know. It's one of those quotes. Like, I don't know where it came from. Yeah, yeah. But sin takes you farther than you want to go. keeps you longer than you want to stay. And costs you more than you can really ever pay. And uh, that's uh, really true. And uh, here he talks about that. When you become callous, you g- get given over to uh, all these terrible things. And then he shifts gears. He's like, but that's not how you learn Christ. I assume many you have heard about him, been taught in him. And then verse 22 through 24, he's like, okay, here's how you got to think. Um, it's like your clothing. <laughs> he's talked about like the walk. Now he's going to kind of shift metaphors to be like, it's like what you wear. You've got to put off your old self, that way that you used to live, your former manner of life is corrupt through deceitful desires. Get get rid of that. And you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Again, there's the, the mind again. Like you got to change the way you see the world. You've got to change the way that you think. And then put on the new self. And I like the way he says it here. It's created after the likeness of God. Mm-hmm. We were created in God's image in yep. the beginning. And supposed to be like him, supposed to uh, have dominion over the world um, and over God's creation, to rule with him. And now he's saying, you know, we've lost that. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But now in Christ, we can put back on what we were created to be in the first place. Uh, The likeness of God created in his image again. And I just want to say, too, this is going to carry through the rest of this chapter and into chapter 5 as well, this idea of putting off the old self and putting on the new. But it's not just exclusive to Ephesians. Um, This is something Paul will talk about in Colossians chapter 3. This is something Paul will talk about in Romans chapter 6, and specifically in Romans 6, how this applies to baptism. And so um, maybe we can deep dive into that another time. But just the simple fact of the matter is when, when you are baptized, when you're immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, that old self, he's buried. He's put to death. 
And in Romans 6, Paul says you were raised to walk in newness of life. Mm-hmm. That is the new self that has been clothed. Um, Galatians 3.27, um, you've been clothed with Christ is the idea. Yes. So I just want to point out that this is an analogy Paul uses pretty consistently through his epistles. Yeah. And I'm in another study right now in Second Peter. It's the same thing that, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. that Peter does. You know, you can become partakers of the divine nature. Practice these qualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, put off these other things. So Paul gets really practical now um, in verses 25 uh, and following. And we're going to split this up really uh, over the rest of this episode. And then uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll talk some more about this. But um, I'm just going to kind of read a big chunk here. And then we're going to go back and kind of break it up into uh, different sections. But there's at least five ways that he's going to tell us, here's what you need to put off and here's what you need to put on. In this next section. I'm going to go right over the chapter break into 5 verse 2. Yep, sounds good. Uh, so I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Ephesians 4, 25 through 5, 2. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, so he starts off in verse 25 telling us to lay aside falsehood, but instead speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I'll just put that another way. Don't lie. Uh, d- don't be yeah. someone that, that's lying um, and constantly trying to, you know, get out of maybe something that you've done by lying or being someone who is just trying to make yourself look better by lying or, or whatever have you. Christians have no business doing that. And I'll be honest, that that's hard to do in a culture that lies about everything. I yeah. mean, especially in the business world. Um, you know, I, I worked in... Uh, lumber sales for the for a while, and uh, it was like every turn people were lying about stuff that they they didn't even need to lie about, and it would be so tempting for me to also want to fall into that habit, but that's not the way um, that's not the way a, a Christian that's not the way someone who's putting off the old self lives they they have to set that aside. Instead, though, they need to speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, and I love the way that he says this specifically for we are members. Of one another. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you just think about that body analogy that we've talked about a few different times in Ephesians. I mean, can you imagine how bad it would be if you were walking up the steps and, uh, you know, or walking down the steps might be the best way to put it, and your mind is telling your left leg, no, there's not another step there, you know? There's no, no, no. Every once in a while it does that. (laughs) And what happens when your mind lies, you know, and tells your your left leg, there's not another step? Well, you, you fall down the rest of the steps there, you know? The mind lying to another part of the body or whatever have you is only hurting the whole body. It just doesn't make sense. And that's what Paul is trying to point out. Why would you lie 
to someone else that's a member of the same body you're a part of. That That's harmful. That's not helpful whatsoever. Yeah, that's exactly right. And speaking the truth, we talked about that a little bit on an episode or two ago, that like speaking the truth in love is such an important concept because really all of the other relationships that we have with people are based on trust. When we become people who lie and people cannot take us at our word, it's hard to work in any other area of your life. Like it is the foundation of a marriage. It's the foundation of a friendship. It's the foundation of brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ. And so like, it's, I don't think it's a surprise that like, it's like item number one, you guys got to tell the truth. Like this is the top of the list of putting on the new self. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't speak truth, like you can't really help each other with any of the other things on the list. It's it's the foundation of relationships. Yes, yes. And I, I'll tell you, growing up, I'm sure a lot of people's parents told them this, and it's it's so such a simple phrase, but it's so true. You cannot trust a liar. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that sounds so simple, but the point is, if you lie once, you're going to second guess that person the next time, right? And the time after that, and it's just one of those sins that, if you get into the habit of it and get caught, it is hard to rebuild that trust. Yep. Um, and so it's so important that, that we stay away from that. Yeah, and it's not to say that you can't come back. Correct. I mean, if you're caught and lying, and that becomes a pattern of behavior, God specializes in changing the people who have become corrupted. Amen. And uh, it it is going to take a while to rebuild trust with people. Um, But God can help you overcome that if you're committed to speaking the truth with your neighbor and speaking the truth with the body that you belong to, the body of Christ. So verses 26 and 27, um, he talks about the next uh, thing. And this one's kind of interesting because it's not exactly a put off, put on. Um, But look what he says here, 26, 27 again. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Um, so this is really interesting. Be angry and do not sin. This is actually a quote from Psalm 4.4. We're not going to go into that uh, whole rabbit trail. But the idea here is that he doesn't say never be angry. And that's true like, when we look at the life of Jesus. Like there are times where Jesus like looked around, at, you know, like when he was healing the guy with a withered hand and he like looks around, he's like, he's angry. At their hardness of heart. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's one of the things he'll be angry about. Yeah. So anger is not bad in and of itself. It just depends on like, why are we angry? Mm-hmm. So he says like, be angry, but do not sin. There's a lot of types of anger that are sinful anger. Anger leads us to all kinds of selfish, impulsive wrong sinful actions uh anger leads us to all sorts of other kinds of sin uh we might start off angry and then it leads us into lying or leads us into an outburst of wrath or or whatever or leads us down into some of these things in verse 31 we'll talk about uh clamor slander malice some Mm -hmm. of those types of things and that that is not a healthy way to express your your feelings of anger there are healthy ways to do that yeah but um we certainly cannot sin in those moments and so I love the admonition, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, I don't know. You, you get all kinds of advice when you're engaged or when you first get married. And one of the classic cliches is, is you know, don't go to bed angry with your spouse. And uh, that's really the, the similar admonition that Paul is giving here. You know, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't stay angry. Find a way to resolve that or to set that aside. And that might look a lot of different ways. Maybe it is communicating with that person in the moment. Or... Maybe it's like, I can't talk to them about what's making me angry tonight because it won't go well for me or for them. So establish a plan. Tomorrow at this time, I'm going to go and talk to them about that. And once you have a plan in place of how to deal with what's making you angry, 
it's a lot easier to kind of settle down, calm down. You know what? I'm going to talk about that with them tomorrow, so I'm just not going to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And he says, give no opportunity to the devil. Because like that is so much what happens. It's when we stay angry, when we bury our anger and don't deal with it, it provides so like a, just a, a rich, fertile soil for bitterness. Yes. <laughs> And for all sorts of, it's like the devil's garden. If he can get you to bury your anger, he can plant all sorts of seeds in that. Yeah. That will cause division and strife in so many different ways. I've heard it put this way, that whenever you're angry, you've opened the door. Your door is wide open now. And if you're not careful, the devil's going to try and stick his foot in there. He's going to try and get a foothold in there so that once that door starts to close, he can wedge his way in and make things a whole lot worse. And mm-hmm. you know, Shut the door on the anger and don't let him in. That's right. And again, there, there is righteous anger. There are times in our life where we feel angry because we've something's been, we've been done wrong and, and we're not guilty in that instance. You look at the Psalms. There's a lot of anger expressed in the Psalms in a, I think, a godly and a holy way. We need to be very careful about how we how we read that, um, and never to justify unrighteous anger. But um, God is angry. God is a God of wrath, and 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 of course, righteous anger. <laughs> like He's never angry for the wrong reason. And so, as we're talking about becoming created after the likeness of God, He said that just a couple verses ago in verse 24. We need to think about when, when I'm angry, ask myself, okay, why am I angry? Mm-hmm. Am I angry for a godly reason or what's probably more likely, am I angry for a selfish uh, reason? I like the way James puts it in James 1. He says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That's right. <laughs> and so am I having godly anger or the anger of man? <laughs> um, so we have to watch. Guard against that. Put if I could say it this way, you would put off the anger of man and put on, when appropriate, the, the anger of God. Yeah. Amen. So in this next one in verse twenty eight, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Okay, so thou shalt not steal. You know, one one of the old ones, we get this. You know, don't take something that you didn't work for that isn't your own. You know, that's not right. That's not righteous. That's not good behavior. But instead, you must labor and perform with your own hands that which is good. I've always thought it was interesting because normally you'd think like, well, don't take, don't steal, rather give. And like we get there, but it's kind of interesting that like the opposite of stealing is work. Because you normally think, well, what's the opposite of work? Well, being lazy, not working. But it's kind of interesting that, like, laziness and stealing are kind of parallel. Mm. That, like, when we're being lazy, or you think about, like, the guy on the job who's, like, he's on the clock, he's getting paid, but, like, he's not he's not working. There's a sense in which that's parallel to yeah. stealing because like, think, he's taking something I that he's not there's an earning. actual term for that. I think it's time theft is what that's actually called. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, rightfully so. You can get in trouble for that. Is You're not producing anything. You're just taking. Yeah. In essence, that's that's exactly. I mean, that's exactly what stealing is. Well, and, and he's going to get back to the giving part here because he says, like, why are you working? Why are you doing good, good, honest work with your own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need? The goal here is to reverse. You know, you're not just taking from someone, but you now have something productive that you're doing to give to other people. I'm not just working for my own selfish yeah. pleasure, sustenance. I mean, I need to become self-sustaining at some point, but then I need to give. 
And again, all, all this is not saying that if we're ever in a position of need that we can't ask for help. Um, in America, the, the, the concept of the self-made man is really popular. And sometimes it keeps Christians from serving each other because we're too proud to accept help. There's sometimes we need to accept help. But don't be a bum either, you know? Yeah. Like, don't be a thief in that sense and just be, like, taken from people without actually working. There's a, there's a balance to all this. But I, I just, I do think it's really cool, like, the, the contrast between don't steal, but rather work. That's, that's a powerful yeah, I, there. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and find ways to share with other people. And so the question is, maybe you're not someone who steals, but you do have a job. Well... Have you taken it the next step? Are you finding ways to do good and share what you have? Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to look for those opportunities. Yes. That leads to verse 29. Um, turning to our speech, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So corrupting talk. Unwholesome word is the word I have in no, my Unwholesome word, mm-hmm. yeah. Which uh, is pretty broad. Um, I mean, I do think this covers uh, cussing, yeah, <laughs> like using. Yeah. And this uh, this is the passage I've heard a lot of people go to for that, and I think that's spot on. Um, but again, there is a necessary um, opposite here. Uh, don't just stop saying those words. Yes, stop saying those words or stop speaking in that way. It doesn't just have to be curse words. It can it can right. be anything. Well, I mean, gossip. Right. Um, things that are technically true, but I don't have any business sharing. I'm sharing them to tear someone down, to air their dirty laundry. Um, it can just be, I mean, he'll talk about this in chapter five, uh, and we'll talk about this next week, uh, you know, fil- filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk more about that next time. Yeah. But again, just the question of, is it wholesome? Right. A lot of the curse words that we have in our society today are really just um, horrible expressions for something that is either wholly serious or just doesn't need to be talked about altogether in certain mm-hmm. settings. And so that's why I think a lot of our curse words today would fit under this category of unwholesome yeah. talk. Yeah. And I mean, it could be using God's name or Jesus's name. Right. Um, or the, or. I even think about the way that the word hell is used. It softens what that place is actually um, described as in, in the scriptures. And yeah. so we don't need to just be throwing that around. That's right. And it's possible to use emphatic language without cursing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's times in Paul's letters where he says some very strong things, but of course never using profanity or, or taking something. That idea of profanity is really interesting. It's, to profane something is to like take something holy mm-hmm. and use it like it's nothing. It's that it is bringing down something that is sacred, and that's really what the idea is. Is a lot of the cursing that goes on is. Uh, uh, so using God's name or Jesus' name or something holy as if it's uh, you know, yeah. a trashy I, thing. I do love the extra layer here because I, in high school, um, this is something I struggled with was having unwholesome talk or saying words that I shouldn't be saying. And uh, I got to the point where finally I was doing better about that. I wasn't using those terms. And now I'm at a place where I'm not even really tempted to even use those terms whatsoever because it's been so long. And recently I've been in a new environment where everyone else talks that way. And again, I walked into that environment and I was like, you know what? I'm not even tempted to talk that way. But Paul, he ups the ante, doesn't he? He says, not only should you not be talking that way, 
but find a way to use your words for edification. And so that's added a whole new layer for me. It's like, okay, I've got this concept down of, of not talking this way, but now I need to find a way to edify and build up these people that I'm around. Yes. Um, and so I just love that, that Paul is like, it's building, it's building blocks, there's stepping stones here that, yeah. he's, that he's talking about. And I like the way he says there's three things. He says there's just one put off, corrupting talk, none of that. But then find something that is good for one, building up, Two, fits the occasion. And three, give grace. That's just really helpful to see that there's like, okay, I've got a kind of filter in here. Uh, I'm tempted to say something. I'll stop and think before I say, is this going to build up? Does it fit the occasion? I really like that second one because it's like, well, maybe this is a good thing to say, but is this the right time and place to mm-hmm. say it? Um, that takes wisdom. Does it fit the occasion? And then three, is it going to give grace? Right to those that hear, or is it just kind of worthless? Um, and so if you kind of have this filter, um, you know, is what I'm saying true? Is it actually true? Do I know it to be true? Or am I just passing on something? Is it going to help the person that I'm talking about? This is one helpful thing when asking, is what I'm about to say gossip? Mm-hmm. Um, is like, am I trying to help the person I'm talking about? Or am I just passing it on because it's a juicy bit of news? Yeah. It's like, oh, did you hear about that? Like, there's a time to, to seek counsel and to say, like, hey, I've encountered the situation. I'm trying to help this person. What do you think I can do? Um, but it's so easy for things to fly under the radar as, oh, I'm just getting help. When actually, if we stop to ask, am I helping this to build them up? Or am I just helping it because I'm venting yeah. and I'm, I, I want to talk with somebody about it? Yeah. Like, and so let's let's just get practical. You're in the break room, and your coworkers start gossiping about your boss or about somebody that that's not in the room, and you get to the point where you're like, "Oh wow, I didn't even join in. I didn't say anything." Well, good, you didn't join in this unwholesome talk, but did you speak a word of edification? Did you speak? Did you stand up for that person? Did you find a way to maybe if everything that people are saying about that person is true, did you find a way to still talk encouraging words about them? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not enough to just not say anything. We have to take it a step further. And that's, that's really what this whole section is about. That's right. And that's a lot harder. I mean, it's a lot, uh, obviously the put off is really the, the first step, but with each of these put off statements, there's the put on. Right. And that, uh, raises it to a whole new level. So that, that brings us to 30, um, and we're just going to read through these uh, five verses into chapter 5 again. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So this is a lot more text here, but if you were to boil it down, I would say you put off bitterness and all the things that come from that and put on forgiveness mm-hmm. and love. Trying to imitate God in that is really kind of this last one. Again, he's going to mention several things here. I do think it's notable, before we get into the specifics, in verse 30, Paul just kind of throws this in, but it's really profound. Uh, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. um, of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He talked about being sealed in the Holy Spirit back in chapter 1. Verse 13. The list of uh, spiritual blessings. Mm 
Um, and we talked about that idea of like God, like a signet ring, like God putting his signature on you right. and saying like, I, you are mine because I've put my spirit in you. And now he's saying, don't grieve the spirit. Like the spirit's living in you. You've been sealed. But like, don't upset him. Like, and this is really kind of important side note because sometimes we talk about God's spirit as if he is an it. Like, what about, do we study it? Do we study the the Holy Spirit? Like, but he's a he. Yeah. (laughs) He's a person. That can be grieved. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And there's some cool Old Testament background to this, actually. Yeah, Isaiah 63.10, if you want to look into that, there's some cool... um, a cool reference there that's talking about the, the day of the Israelites in the wilderness and how they were grieving the Holy Spirit and the way that they were acting. Well, that is really, and, and I'm not sure if this is supposed to be grouped with like the last few verses here. That's the way we did it, but it really applies to any of these things. Mm-hmm. That if we're if we're lying, if we're ungodly anger, uh, if if we're stealing, if we got corrupting talk, I mean any of these things, it's like God's Spirit is like living yeah. in me. And when I am bringing that stuff into a place that's supposed to be holy, it grieves him. Like he, yeah. he mourns and it's like, no, like this is supposed to be a holy place. Like I'm living here. Like don't bring that in right. here. And that's a, a powerful motivator for getting off the old and putting in the new. Yeah, I, I think another way to put that is, is God any of these things that Paul is condemning? Well, of course he isn't. And so naturally, if he's living in you, if his spirit is in you, you don't need to act this way either. That would be that would be a grieving thing to do. And I, I even think about my own children. You know, my own child. That when she acts in a way that's unpleasing to me, it grieves me. And similarly, obviously, uh, the same is true of God as we are His children. Yes. So we need to let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, all those things be put away from us. And wow, those quite the list, isn't it? (laughs) Of uh, different words for for really bitterness and um, just that that anger that's within us. And they all really have to do with like interpersonal relationships. Like stop treating each other like these things. Mm -hmm. And man, I'll tell you, bitterness is just one of the worst. And again, it kind of comes from like the buried anger thing a lot of times. It's like, I'm angry with you, but uh, I'm not going to do anything right now. I'm just going to bury it. But I remember what you did to me. And it may come out later, and it may come out, you know, manifold times over yes. what it was at the beginning. And I think it's for that reason, the Hebrew writer, he talks about that no root of bitterness springs up mm-hmm. and causes trouble. He uses that language because bitterness really works that way. It roots down real deep, and then it just springs up at different moments. And yes, we've got to set that aside. We have to communicate with one another to, to make sure that those things don't happen. Yeah. And this comes back to the qualities of unity that we talked about at the beginning of chapter four. We've got to forgive each other. And he, he, he ups it here in verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's like a Bible 101 thing, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, we talked about this when we did the Beatitudes a while back. Blessed the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And we talked about the parable of the unforgiving servant mm-hmm. in Matthew 18. Man, where like he's been forgiven this astronomical, crazy debt, like crazy money. And then he won't forgive his brother, right. fellow servant, who owes him eh, a chunk of change, but payable. And it's like, we have to realize how much God has forgiven us. And that is, that's the biggest cure for bitterness, is if we do hold grudges, if we are holding that against my brother, oh God, they need to know what they did to me. They need to... It's like, dude, think about just for a minute what you did to God. Yep. 
and how he forgave you through Christ right. and the love that he showed to you. And this spills right into chapter 5. You know, As God forgave you, be imitators of God as beloved children. When you don't forgive, that's what Satan does. Like He's the accuser. He's the guy saying, hey, look what they did, look what they did. And God's the one saying, no, I forgive that. I forgive that. Look at what my son did. Mm-hmm. And that covers it. Yeah, um, I, I just love, I think the chapter break's not the greatest there, but you're doing what God does whenever you forgive other people. Um, that you're, you're acting as your father acts. And so that's that's really the children idea there in verse 1. And then it kind of comes full circle to the way chapter 4 started, where Paul is imploring them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which they've been called. 5-2, walk in Love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Yeah. There's no greater put on than to be like Christ. Uh, Christ loved and gave himself. Which, by the way, we'll talk about this in a couple episodes, but the exact same thing that he tells husbands to do, love your wives, Uh as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. Like, this is the standard of behavior for godly people, and specifically husbands, but for all of us. Walk in love. If you can see the love of Christ, this was his prayer, right? Back in chapter 3. So you can know the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. The breadth, like breadth, height, length, depth. I forget yeah. the four dimensions there. Yeah, there you go. Um, if you can see the love that Christ has, man, it's going to drive out the bitterness. It's going to drive out the anger and the clamor and the slander because we're going to see if Christ loved me like that, I can love our brother and I can love my neighbor like that. We love because he first loved us. Yep. Amen. Well, Lord willing, we're going to get into kind of a part two um, side of this in chapter five, three, we'll go all the way down to verse um, 21. Yeah, 21, Lord willing next week, but we'll continue this theme of, of what we need to put off and what we need to put on. So Lord willing, we'll get into that next week. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating or a review. Um, If you'd like to talk with us about any of these specific things or other Bible questions you have, we'd love to hear from you. 717-585-0949 or email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or check us out on the web at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.